You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. And let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, host, back with another episode. Today we are up in Tulsa at the church studio. Um, I wish I could take this conference room desk home with me because it's fantastic, <laughs> but uh, really excited to dive into kind of music history today, the history of Leon Russell, uh, and my guest is, um, I guess, I mean, the reason we are here today to uh, to share those amazing stories, talk about the vision of the church studio, where it's going, what it was, and, and it's coming back to. So, uh, Teresa Knox, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank Welcome. you for hosting us. Super excited to be here. Um, thank you. And dive into it and, and see the building. Um, you know, we were here, you know, in November for the induction ceremony pre-party, I guess. Um, you know, it's great to see full people, it full of people, but it's nice to come through kind of quiet and really take right. things in. So thank you so much for having us. Um, I guess we'll start with, uh, I mean, what was, I guess, your kind of draw to, to purchasing this building and going through this whole process of bringing it back to life? Well, I think um, first and foremost, uh, I love Leon. I love Leon. I didn't know him personally, but... Um, from a fan perspective. So I started collecting Leon memorabilia as a kid. And my first item, I'll have to show it to you, is a 7-Eleven Slurpee cup. And uh, I was eight years old when I got that. And of course, 7-Eleven did a series of the top 50 rock stars in America. And Leon was one of them. And of course, they wanted you to go back and get another Slurpee. Of course, I always I always mix the Coke and the cherry. And uh, that was so good. And I thought that was really neat. And I I don't know. I just started collecting things at garage sales and thrift stores, and I had a lot of older siblings, and they were really into Leon. So he was just something we always talked about. Yeah. So music was something that was huge part of your life from a very young age. It was. It was. I come from a, a poor family, and we didn't have a lot, but I always had a little radio and. 
I thought it was so cool how the local DJs would say from Tulsa, Oklahoma, JJ Kale or David Gates or Leon Russell or Jim Keltner, you know, the top drummer on the planet um, from Tulsa and even from Oklahoma. You know, when you look at Jimmy Webb or, um, you know, Jesse Ed Davis, um, but almost all of them ended up in Tulsa in some form or fashion. Yeah, so you grew up born and raised in Tulsa? Yes, yeah, I was born in Tulsa, um, 1969, and I grew up on the west side, and um, so it's always been my home, and absolutely love it. Yeah, so from, from a young age, loving music, were you ever drawn to the instrument side of things? Did you play any instruments growing up and think, I want to be a musician one day? I did. So in my home, um, my oldest brother was a multi-instrumentalist, so he always had a lot of instruments laying around. Of course, I wasn't able to use a lot of them, but he had a flute, um, and so I picked up the flute and started playing it. I remember my first music book was uh, Elton John's Yellow Brick Road, and so I started learning every single song on that album. Um, and then, of course, I was introduced to Jethro Tull and Marshall Tucker and Chicago, all the bands that used a flute. There aren't that many. <laughs> and um, so, I don't know, I thought... I could be this rock and roll flute player and um, ended up being in band and um, so, but that was the extent of, I picked up other woodwinds, but didn't really go anywhere with it. Yeah. So growing up then at a young age, passion for music, wanting to do it, um, going through school, most musicians I know don't like education. They just want to play music do whatever and just kind of that is their sole focus. What about you? Was it like did you kind of have that? Did you kind of not really have that much love for education or did you go through the school system thinking, all right, I might not be in a, you know, in music for as a career as an artist, but maybe I'll have a job one day that can afford me <laughs> where we are today. Really, it never crossed my mind to, um, except, you know, if I ever had a garage band or did something like that, but, you know, I wasn't a fan of school. It wasn't uh, emphasized in my family. Um, the majority of my siblings uh, didn't have an opportunity to graduate from high school. And so, um, by the grace of God, I'm, I, I did graduate from high school, me and a, another brother of mine, there were eight of us. But, um, yeah, it was just kind of a means to an end. I, I started working at a really young age, so work was really um, my priority growing up. Even as a child, I had I had jobs. So, yeah. so what, what was the what was the dream then as a kid? As you know, when you you're working and you're getting through high school and you graduate and you think now I get to start my life. You know, mm -hmm. and one of eight kids. That's a lot. You know, it's a lot of kids for for parents to feed, raise, take care of, give attention to, you know, what, uh, I'm sure it sounds like you're pretty independent from a young age cause you had to be. Right. Uh, and you know, what, what is, what is Teresa's life like when she's 16 to 20 years old and what are the plans from that point? Well, I just wanted to be self-sufficient. You know, I, um, when I, we did, again, we didn't have a lot. So working at a young age, you know, at nine, 10, 11, 12, I got my first legit job. I lied, said I was 16, but it was really empowering knowing that if I wanted to buy new clothes or I started wearing makeup that I couldn't buy that on my own. So I just became really obsessed with earning an income and I didn't know exactly how I was going to do that. Um, until I was 18, I thought 
it would be really cool to work in a dental office. And, and that was my, um, and at the time I was working at Sonic. I worked at Sonic, which I love Sonic. It's a great Oklahoma company. I worked there from the age of 15 to 18. But I just remember seeing other people, I called them fancy people, and they would talk, they would have braces or talk about going to the dentist. And I never had those opportunities uh, to have that, that type of um, health care. And so I stumbled upon a little school at the age of 18, a six-month-long program, and became a dental assistant. And... Um, I, uh, it really changed the course of my life. I, I tell some people that it saved my life because, you know, growing up literally in that type of poverty, it, it was drug, sex, and rock and roll. It sounds like a rock band, but that's poverty in Oklahoma in the 70s and 80s very much looked like that. And I was kind of going in the direction of my older siblings. So I became, I wanted to be a legit normal person in society, what I thought was normal, and um, becoming a dental assistant at the age of 18 afforded me that that normalcy that I was really craving. Yeah. You mentioned working at Sonic. Are you pretty good on roller skates? <laughs> Actually, I was better. I was not good on roller skates. I was good at running, but I absolutely love that job. I love that company, um, but yeah. Yeah, and I've tried every flavor. I'm sure. Absolutely, no, I'm a little disappointed that they use a lot of artificial flavoring now and like yeah. fake whipped cream. I'm, in fact, I just told my husband about a week ago that I'm going to write a letter to Sonic <laughs> and talk about the good old days and the ingredients that they used. But uh, they're still a great company. Yeah. So, so you mentioned growing up, kind of 70s, 80s. You know, like the the not so glamorous life of you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, you know, because it's poverty and you know you you're learning how to be self-sufficient self-sufficient that is your goal and you see you know a shining light you see an avenue in i, can, I don't have to go you know to be a dental uh, a dentist but i can be a dental assistant and it's a lot cheaper to be a dental assistant right you know and a great route to go down um and it's practical learning right it's not i have to sit and deal with you know bodies and all that stuff um that is your kind of, I guess, uh, exit plan, your way out, your shining light, your way to build a career for yourself. It was. I mean, that was the beginning of my career. It was, you know, when you come from a broken background, it affects your decision making. It affects your self-esteem. But having a good job that you can be proud of, you know, changes the course of your life. And early on, you know, working with patients, wanting my opinion, you know, what should I do about my teeth? What should, you know, what do you think? What's your opinion? I mean, I just, my head exploded because I just got more confident and I was around, you know, working adults, which I really hadn't been before growing up and people with dental insurance and fancy cars and all of these different things. And it just exposed me to um, a, a really a different life. And, and people wanted to know my opinion. And I don't know, it, it just made me feel really, really good. And um, yeah, that's how I started my career. I learned a lot. Everything I learned at Sonic, I used in the dental office with customer service and damage control and customer recovery strategy. And, and I worked for an amazing dentist. Dentist. Uh, he was actually an endodontist, and I learned so much from him. And uh, that's really what uh, got me started, uh, planted that seed for that entrepreneurial bug yeah. of starting a business in my early 20s. Okay, so then you go on to start your own. Tell me about that. 
I did. So um, early on in my dental assistant career, I discovered I had a knack for training people. And I built this uh, kind of, you know, I wouldn't have called it a curriculum back then, but I would take Polaroid photos of dental procedure trays and write down a list of how to do things. And we would get dental assistant interns, and I really became in charge of training them. And over and over, they would tell me, I learned so much more from you than I did in school. And uh, that gave me the idea that I wonder if I could teach dental assisting. And um, I did that. I put a little $4 ad in the Tulsa world, and it was really simple. It said, you know, let me call Teresa, let me change your life, enjoy a new career as a dental assistant. And um, people started calling me. That's brilliant. I love that. Uh, And so then you take that, and that is your, you take your, lessons you've learned with people, Sonic, you take, you know, the, the actual practical side of being a dental assistant and marry those two. And then I guess the business starts out, you placing people into jobs? Is that how the business starts? Or are, you, no. are they paying you as a fee to train and then... To train them, yeah. Okay. So at first I, you know, I, I didn't have a business background, but uh, the dentist I worked for would uh, leave at noon. And so I had my backpack. I, I packed up all of our dental tools and my little curriculum that I had built. And I was a single mom at the time. I was living in an apartment on Riverside Drive right here in Tulsa. And um, I had um, students come to my apartment and I was just teaching them. Of course, I didn't have, you know, wasn't at the dental office, but between my curriculum and my photos and I would show them tools and that sort of thing. And um, they started paying me. I had a few that didn't have any money, so I didn't charge them. And I always remember my first, I call her my first legitimate client. And she contacted me and she said, how much is your program? About a thousand dollars. And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. And I was like, holy crap, this person is going to pay me a thousand dollars, which she did. And there was no going back um, until I uh, was served documents by the state attorney general's office. And uh, they told me I was operating a school illegally and that in the state of Oklahoma, you had to be licensed to offer post-secondary education that leads to entry-level employment. And they said I had to, if I captured or if I um, earned any money, I had to pay that back. And of course, when you live paycheck to paycheck, that money was gone. I had already spent it and it wasn't a lot. But um, I um, learned what it took to get licensed. I went back to the dentist I was working for, kind of fessed up to him and let him know what I'd been doing. He thought it was funny. I was horrified that he would be <laughs> You're a little upset everything. at me. Yeah. Yes, and so we worked out an agreement where I would um, barter my salary um, and I could use the office for a real school. And it took me about six months. I got licensed and uh, I became Dental Directions, the School of Dental Assisting, yeah. and um, was approved by the state of Oklahoma. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm glad your dentist didn't say, like, you're getting fired as well, right? Because that would have been disastrous. I know, I but, know. Uh, I think I was still pretty young at the time, and yeah. I don't know. He was great. Yeah. And uh, do you have a son or a daughter at this point? Uh, I have three children, okay. and that, that during that time, that was my oldest, my son. Yeah. Yeah. 
Does he have any early memories of you doing the school and stuff? Oh, yeah. He yeah, definitely he was it. my teacher's aide. Yeah. So when he was younger, you know, he would, you know, it was a tiny apartment. Yeah. And um, he'd get papers ready for me and other things. And we had a really yeah. good time. That's awesome. So during this time, are you kind of, you obviously you still have a passion for music and, and listening to music along the way. Are you collecting at this point as well? Or does that come later? Yeah, definitely. I was always at, you know, garage sales and thrift stores. Mm-hmm. And during that time... Um, well, right before that time, I had multiple jobs in addition to being a dental assistant, but I got a job at a local club, music club called the Sunset Grill, and um, I was able to meet a lot of the Tulsa Sound legends like Jimmy Markham and David T. Garden and Bill Davis and uh, The Medicine Show and Jim Sweeney. I mean, the list goes on and on. J.J. Kell came through town and was uh, at our club. It was in a very popular area in Tulsa called Brookside, and it was the hottest club in town. And um, so, again, I was always in music um, or from a fan perspective. But yeah, collecting vinyl, I have thousands of vinyl records. I have so many turntables. And even before buying the church, you know, I was so much into the music. Yeah. And supporting and local musicians by, you know, going to their gigs. Right. and. So was it pretty strategic for you to get a job at that club then? Because you loved, you know, the passion of music as well as, hey, I get to meet all these people and enjoy music, but I'm also getting well, paid to be Well, it was mad well. money, yeah. yeah. I just really needed the money at the time. And one thing I discovered at Sonic is that... If you're really nice to people and, and do, I always say do more into others than yeah. they would do into you, you get this little thing called a tip. And so I made so many tips at Sonic, but even more so at the club. And it was, it was really great. So it was like-minded people that enjoyed music, supported our local musicians um, while making good tip, tip money that I could use every day yeah. to survive. Do you have, what, what are the greatest memories you have from working at that club? people that came through and just moments you have in the memories um gosh there was so many i again when jj kell was in town and came through i think that was really really neat um same with dwight twilly he's uh was a shelter artist assigned to leon's record label he was uh living i believe in california at the time but um when he was in town, you know, he got a gig to play at our club. That was neat. Uh, another time, Kansas came through town, and they were looking for a smaller gig. And, you know, it was really pretty cool serving drinks to them as uh, they're playing Dust in the Wind. I mean, there, there are so many memories. But what's really neat are the people that I met that I afterwards I started this other career and, and kind of left um, you know that job a long time ago but reconnecting with people that have even toured here at the church studio and they're like you're so familiar and we put it together that they were my customer when I was 21 years old yeah. uh, working at the club and I looked at it you know, a little different I had blonde hair a big perm and um, half my size now <laughs> but uh, it's been really neat because people that love music and follow that they never get away from it so it's like the same people that went to that club you know hang out here at the church yeah and as life progresses as the business progresses then 
you get to a point where you have you leave your dental office that you're working at and totally take your training side does that just progress naturally take right. off yeah so I was the you know I was working as the dental assistant but then I was also teaching and then my the calls just you know exploded and so I was operating as a recruiter admissions rep so I was teaching and then trying to run the business side of things and um, so I had to you know make a decision and so I gave up my dental assisting job altogether and ran out of space at the dental office and I rented a, another commercial property to grow the school yeah quite a big step right? yes it to, was to, a big step you know, the first the really first big step was when I decided to hire my first employee yeah. and uh, that was kind of a game changer and I hired a receptionist to help me with kind of office management answering the phone helping me with student relations that sort of thing yeah so during this time then while you're growing everything and you know then life is you know snowballs rolling life is starting to fall into place um you know you you have this school and and what you've dreamed to come true is is slowly getting there and you know you you go through you hire your first employee and you sign a big lease on a new space like where take us to that moment like what is kind of are you just thinking let's just get through tomorrow or are you thinking no there's I have a plan in place to where I'm going to make an exit from this business. Like what is kind of your plan at that time? Yeah, I never thought about exiting. I was really passionate about it because I know what becoming a dental assistant did for me. I mean, to me, that's the only answer to break the cycle of poverty, to break the cycle of addiction and abuse and all of those different things. And I thought, if I can do this, anyone can do it. So looking back now, it really was kind of a, a calling or a mission field, you know, to help others do what I was able to do in a really relatively short period of time. My program was six months long as well. And, um, but I, I had some challenges early on. I didn't have an attorney, couldn't afford one. I had no marketing budget. I didn't have an accountant. I was making up how I was doing the business of things. I knew basics because I helped manage the dental office. And um, so I kind of ran it like a dental office. But I did run into some major cash flow problems. And I remember early on feeling like a huge failure. And um, it took me many years later to look back that those were growing pains that I thought were were failures. And so I started selling everything. One thing that I collected, um, some things that I had in my collection I sold um, that I hated to part with, but probably the hardest uh, was my son's um, VHS tape Disney movie collection. I remember going into the pawn shop and other people that would buy those things, but I was so strapped for cash and I had terrible credit. So, you know, I didn't have credit cards and didn't really have, you know, family members at the time um, or really any time to help, you know, and I had too much pride to ask for help anyway. And then we uh, we lost our place where we were living. And so we lived in our car um, for about six months. And so, but it, it was fine until my car got stolen. And then I was driving him around town on my bicycle. And so I had my pillow and I I strapped it on the bicycle and uh, we we had fun. It was an adventure. In fact, you met my son earlier. That's Ronnie who oh, was no up way. here. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And so um, he failed to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not a not a yeah. big deal. He just sold a business. He uh, he he's doing so well. But we have 
just we just laugh. Sometimes we just laugh uncontrollably yeah. about how we lived, but it was it was really cool. But once I got past that, it's like wow, like it was just a hump, and I I could have brought in a, an investor or that sort of thing, but we stuck it out. We elected yeah. not to do that, and so we went way backwards, but it propelled us forward because I I started the business with our save our life savings of seven hundred fifty dollars. Right, and I grew the school to the largest vocational school in the state and then in the region and then in the top five in America. So it grew over the years. So we had a good return on investment. So, I mean, it was rough, but it was, it was really hard at the time because I, it was, is discouraging. You know, the worst problems you can ever have are financial. If you've ever been in that situation, because you need money for everything, but uh, somehow we made it by the grace of God. And uh, you know, I wasn't even a, a believer at the time I am today. But you know, um, I'm just so grateful that um, you know He yeah. had His uh, watchful eye over us during that time because it could have gone in a very different direction. Uh, yeah, right. Like. You, there, yeah, I mean, you make one wrong turn on your bike, and you, you, you know, like it's <laughs> exactly. like it was such a ghetto bike too, but uh, it was fun and kept us in good shape. That's for sure. Yeah, but again, like you mentioned, there's so many life lessons from that, and you know, so much belief comes from that, right? Sure. If, I, if I can come back from that, I can come back from pretty much anything. Oh, absolutely. And not only just being you, like you're a mother at this point too, right? right. And you know, you've got a baby to yeah. take care of and no money, right? And and a lot of people probably don't think about this, but also kind of just the mental health side of things and, and the pressures of, I wonder what that person's thinking of me because I'm, you know, homeless on the street with my child. Right. Right. Like all of those things people don't think of. Um, yeah. I mean, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. That's amazing. I did not expect well, that coming here today. You to say that. That's, um, well, it was, yeah. it was, it was really fun. And, but then the school really took off. I, um, I learned about, you know, I noticed other schools are accredited. What is accreditation? And it took me three years, but I got accredited and added other non-dental programs and changed the name to Community Care College and then expanded past that, Clary Sage College, and then our latest campus is Oklahoma Technical. So when I left, we had 46 programs leading up to an associate's degree. And uh, it was a great adventure. And you know, um, thousands and thousands of Oklahomans, um, you know, doing what I did, you know, going from point A to point B. And uh, we were a private vocational school, so we did all of this without one dollar of Oklahoma tax dollars. So it was a very self-sufficient institution. And I, um, you know, I... You know, I miss it. I miss it a lot. I still serve on the executive board. It was a for-profit institution all of those years. And I planned on selling it at our 20-year anniversary, but I um, got cold feet. I, I couldn't do it. I, it was like giving up a baby for adoption. So I... Um, I backed out at, literally at, a, at the closing table of selling it to a East Coast private equity firm. And of course, a lot of things were happening in for-profit education at the time with the University of Phoenix and ITT and Brown Mackey and all of the big, you know, big players. And we were one of the few, you know, single shareholder institutions in the state. So after I didn't sell it, I... I got this idea that, hey, this needs to be a nonprofit. We had raised tuition in 10 years. We were already giving millions of dollars away in scholarships to Oklahomans. And 
anyway, that took another two years. I converted it from a for-profit to a not-for-profit institution. I stepped down as the owner CEO, and it operates currently today as a traditional, you know, nonprofit board with the president reporting to the board. Yeah. To this day, is that your greatest accomplishment that you think of? I think, yes, by far. Just because um, we had everything there from a prison ministry to other, you know, veterans program. And to see people that feel like they could not do anything um, and that you're at a dead end. And I often felt that way growing up. Like, how do you get out of this? How do you get out of it? It it seems impossible. And for them to walk in, to even take that step to when they walk um, and receive their diploma at graduation, it's, um, it's yeah, it's my, my greatest accomplishment by far. Yeah. yeah, seeing those smiling faces, right? Oh, seeing, my gosh. And yeah. seeing them, you know, the first, you know, people talk about first-generation college graduate. These are first-generation, I got my GED. Yeah. You know, people don't realize how many people drop out of high school in Oklahoma, and only 25% of those actually go back and get a GED. So a lot of people back in the day would be kind of ashamed that I got a GED. It's like, congratulations, because you beat the odds. Most people don't. Right. And it's so, it's so different now with, you know, measuring the return on investment on on education but I'm a huge advocate for current technical education because when you when you grow up the way that I did you can't think four-year degree it's not even in your realm of comprehension it's like but they can do a three-month program a micro credential or a six-month or even surge tech or cosmetology that's a 12-month long program you can think along those lines does it does it kind of irritate you sometimes when people say it can't be done or I can't do it because of everything that you've been through and come back from? No, I do. I love people, yeah. and you know, everyone has a different story. Um, and you know, I used to be really intimidated and judged. You know, wealthy people or people that came from. Um, something, but everyone has a story, and that's what connects us. And you know, I've earned a little bit of money over the years, and so it doesn't really change things. And, and it, again, everyone is so different. And you, until you walk in their shoes, you really have no idea. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's a great point. Uh, you mentioned, you know, getting to that stage, you're always collecting. You were collecting, you know, from a very young age. What was your kind of first like big purchase that you were like I'm going to treat myself here like I've worked really hard I'm going to treat myself a 79 Corvette yeah do you still have it yeah I still have it yeah um that was the first thing when I started making money. I love cars, and I, I actually started buying and selling cars as a teenager. So I already had neat cars. I, you know, I had Corvair. I had a '64 Monza Spider. I had a '76 um, Camaro. I had a Carmaglia. I had a Volkswagen Bug. I had a Pinto. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had so many cars, but I never could get to the level of a Corvette. And I love. I love those cars. I mean, it's so sad to see cars today. They're not anything like that. And so, um, yeah, that was totally it. I still have it, and I love that car. I'm just Googling it now. Oh, it's the greatest Corvette ever. Absolutely. I don't like the new ones. The new ones don't. To to me, a Corvette is not mid-engine. To me, it's rear-engine, front-engine, rear-wheel drive, long bonnet, long hood. This one is with the arches and some of the greatest shape. What, What color was yours? It's black. Yeah? Yeah. I saw one driving through Oklahoma City 
uh, oh, probably the last year it was white with a red interior yeah and the guy driving it looked like he was having the greatest time it's ever. so fun just like you are living life um, I could <laughs> no, talk cars forever so. it's so fun in fact I'm just I'm I love this weather I don't yeah I don't know I just springtime I I pull out the the Camaro or I have the Camaro I have a 69 Camaro also but yeah. um and I have a 72 Chevy and I have a 69 Carmigia okay. um I just love cars. I don't have the Bandit. I do want that Trans Am. Yeah, so. with the with the Eagle on the oh eagle, yeah, absolutely. Fire, like Firebird on the on the yes, hood, right? absolutely. Yeah. I love Burt Reynolds. I love I love uh, Smokey and the Bandit. So Cannibal Run. Oh yes, yeah. all of those are so good. Such a great era of movies, yeah. right? That was like to me. That's like. You know, some of the effects, obviously, in those movies are just terrible. But when I watch Cannibal <laughs> Run, you know, when I see, uh, was it him? The the uh, when he was it Burt Reynolds, and then I can't remember who the other actor yeah. was in the car, and he was like a superhero, and he called himself him. Oh, oh yes, um, okay. And then you had kind of like the two yeah. supermodels in the Lamborghini, maybe. Mm. And then you've got like the Shake driving his oh, roles. Oh wow, like, you do know your movies. Oh, I need to go back and watch it. I'm, it's such a great yeah. for people listening. Go watch yeah. Cannibal Run. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but cars and music they go together, and then you yeah. think about Tulsa with Route 66. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just go together. And so, you know, so many great memories cranking up, you know, that favorite song on your stereo. And I just... I don't know. I just, I love it. Yeah. Do you have one, what's, what's next? Like what for, for cars, you have something you have your eye on? It sounds like you stick to a, you know, like a period, well, seventies, early eighties. When I was younger, I, I got rid of my Corvair and I love Corvair, you know, their rear engine, air cold, they're terrible cars. Ralph Nader wrote a book called unsafe at any speed, but, um, I love that car so much, so I'm, I'm looking for a Corvair currently, So, and I'd like to have that particular one. Yeah, brilliant. I'm going to take this away from cars because I could talk to you about cars forever. <laughs> I don't know if you want to listen to that. Uh, I have a separate podcast about cars. I might have to have you on that one day, too. Um, so businesses being successful you know you, like you mentioned it, it's moving to a place you think about selling it you get cold feet you move it to a non-profit side of things um when then does kind of this building that we're in today what's like your earliest memory of the building and then when does it even come a possibility that one day you may be able to own this building and then how let's go through that process well after i convert you know one day i i'm the ceo and i own this institution um and the next day after we basically closed to convert it to a not for even though it took two years to do that i wasn't a school owner in my entire adult life i had that school and so um I I stayed another six months to get the new president transitioned and you know for the school because it it was classic founders dilemma and I see that happening in a lot of different businesses but it's all tied around the founder you know what I mean you're the cheerleader the ambassador and you know founders you know operate their businesses a little bit different than just hiring someone in so um i stepped away at that six month mark and i went and i'm not someone that gets depressed i'm pretty even kill all the time but i was going through something that i never recognized in myself before and i realized it was grief 
and um, I bought a little building next to Circle Cinema, which is a historic theater here in town, and um, was renovating that. It's It had been dilapidated since the 80s. I'm real hands-on on construction and, and that sort of thing, and I found myself... Um, my older brother, we were talking one day, talking about Leon, talking about the church. And so I found myself driving by here because it's just a couple of minutes away. And um, just really sad at the shape it was in. I mean, trash everywhere. I looked at the crime stats. There was a rape, murder, assault, theft every single day. And it's just like, man, this looks so terrible on Leon's, you know, this amazing artist that was the number one touring act in America in 1972 that's when he came back to his hometown here in Tulsa and it's like this looks so terrible and um, I you know been collecting music memorabilia Leon stuff and I just I found the owner on the tax records I wrote him a letter and said hey would you ever consider this building because I needed more projects I was used to working I've always worked 24 7 and multiple projects and renovating a building that I was working on wasn't quite satisfying, you know, the number of hours that I can produce in a day. And so um, he said, it's not for sale, but meet with me. And we met a little bar down the street and he was a huge Leon fan too. And so we talked Leon stories, that sort of thing. I was like, oh, can I see it? I want to go inside. And it's like, no, 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 let's, you know, but we finally came to a deal in the bar. It's literally, you hear about napkin deals. That's really what it was. We're making notes on, you know, this whiskey infested napkin deal. And um, it was, um, we did it. And so we, uh, he still wouldn't show it to me. So I ended up closing at Guarantee Abstract downtown Tulsa. And I still had never stepped foot in the building. And so um, bought it, sight unseen, walked in, and um, it was shocking, you know, the state that it was in. And um, I always stand by my decisions and always see it as a cool opportunity. But I do have to admit, I had buyer's remorse um, for about 24 hours. And 24 hours later, I uh, we immediately started cleaning up the facility. It was flooded in the basement. Um, there, it was. I can't even describe to you the shape that it was in. It was so horrifying. Um, and I've seen a lot of really bad places. And I sketched out our logo, um, kind of how I, you know, because I always have to begin with the end in mind. I know that's a Stephen Covey quote, but it's really how I feel. I always go opposite. And then uh, just started formulating a strategy. Um, and of course, we had to bring structural engineers in very quickly because the building was imploding. And, um, you know, put RFPs out there. I wanted to get a really great architect. I knew we'd have to add on to the property. And that's really how it came about. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with it. But I like buildings kind of speak to me. And um, that's what this one was doing. You know, I had visions of an elaborate girl cave. You mentioned a man cave earlier with uh, your boss. But, um, you know, but I knew the building was significant and more important, uh, which led me to start the process of getting it listed on the National Register of Historic Places. That was super important. This is not a historic district. This is the Pearl District. It's not like Kendall Whittier or Maple Ridge or the Katy Railroad District or even the Arts District. Those are all recognized historic districts. This one isn't. So would this even qualify? What is that process like?
like. Um, but really proud to say that we did get it listed, and it's one of the few historic recording studios in America, not only recognized by the State Preservation Office, but the National Park Service. And we're in a cohort of other studios, such as Motown, RCA Studio B, Capitol Records, Stax, and of course the church studio right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. And, and obviously, you know, the once you get it listed, the credits that are available to you, you know, in uh, having a listed building. And I had um, uh, Snyder on from the Mayo, and he was talking about when they turned the Mayo around because it was a listed building. They had so many tax credits, and they had, you know, it made it doable, you know, to fund everything and to have that. So. Obviously, you know, it's great to be a listed building, but it comes with massive benefits as well. And they, they it can, can help you, right? They right. Yeah. I mean, we haven't, we haven't used tax credits for this building because um, we um, are not finished with the process. So I'm hoping it's not guaranteed, um, but there is a 20% tax credit from the state of Oklahoma and 20% on the federal. Of course, they're used on your, your tax return, um, but you can sell the state tax credits. But hopefully we'll get those because, you know, early on I thought, you know, I'm going to budget a million dollars for this renovation. I didn't know. And you were, what, $11 million in? And uh, so, um, you know, I wanted to be more than an expensive hobby. I need the building to be self-sustaining because I may not be here tomorrow and um, I, I need it to be here forevermore. It's such an important landmark, not only to honor the life and legacy of Leon Russell, but just the, the early church is beautiful. No one knew anything about this church. And I have interviewed 360, 380 so people um, to get to the truth of this building. And um, um, it's it's magnificent and it's beautiful. Yeah, uh, yeah. For people listening, I, like I said, I'll put the link to the you know the website so you can go read the the history and everything because it is fascinating and you've got to come and see it and take a tour and have some of the tour guides walk you through because they know a lot of things and you'll be blown away by the information that you'll learn. Uh, the other thing that you that I, I want to ask is you mentioned starting the quote you know starting with the end in mind. What was the end in? What is the end in mind? You know, what was that goal, and has that evolved over time of renovating the building? Yes. So um, I wanted it to be. Shortly after I bought this, uh, I took a trip to Detroit and I went to Motown, and I loved it. I, of course, we all love Motown music, and you know, I love. And Stevie Wonder has, has a history with the church, and I mean, it's such a neat story. But it. Um, it made me a, a little sad too because you have artifacts on the wall and um, it's a neat story, but so what, right? And especially to younger people that can't resonate or even relate to that music. And so I just, I knew early on that it needed to be relevant to today's artist. It needed to be not just an archive. And we do, you know, my collection, I've called it the Church Studio Archive. After I saw what the Bob Dylan Center's doing and George Kaiser Family Foundation, I was like, wow, that's a fancy name for my, for a collection. You know, maybe people won't 
get that I purchased at, at garage sales and everything else. But I, I knew it needed to, I didn't want that. I didn't, I didn't want a museum and I don't even have a museum background or anything like that. And so, um, you know, that was the end. It's like, how can we be relevant to music today? So the legacy continues. I mean, I love the pioneers like Leon Russell and JJ Kill and all the shelter artists that came through here. But, um, you know, we can be inspired by them, but we we have to be forward thinking because, as you know, another great quote, what got you here won't get you there. And so we have to be agile and be able to respond to market conditions, even consumer behavior, how people relate to music, how they consume music today. It's it's different than during Leon's time. Yeah. Um, for, for people listening that aren't aware of who Leon Russell is and what the church studio means to him and you and everybody listening, don't, you know, dive down into the weeds because we could, you could talk about it, I'm sure, for hours, but a brief synopsis on how this is important and then we'll dive into, you know, the amount of people that are superstars in the industry that have come through this building. So... Right. Uh, you know, I said this earlier, Leon was number one touring artist in America in 72 when he came back to his hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was born in Lawton, but his hometown, he grew up here. I mean, Tulsa was his home. And he could have gone anywhere at the time, but he came back here. And Leon had this uh, extraordinary history as a session player and really became the musician's musician. And, you know, you look at the, the success of Mad Dogs and Englishmen with Joe Cocker in 1969. You look at the concert for Bangladesh and what he accomplished with Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton. Of course, that was George Harrison's vision. Um, and his fourth studio album, Carney, um, in 72, and he was here. So he attracted everyone to Tulsa, not only on the Shelter Records label, but, you know, you, you look at Willie Nelson recording here. You look at, you know, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, The Wailers, Tom Petty. You know, Tom Petty getting his start right here in this building. I mean, it's extraordinary. And people held Leon to such a high esteem. And I think that's really neat. That's something we can, that I've always been proud of as an Oklahoman, but so many people can be proud of. And it was entrepreneurial. You know, I love business and how businesses get started and what makes them work. And as I've analyzed, even though the label imploded and it didn't do that well at the end and it was short-lived, it was very entrepreneurial from a technology perspective, what he brought here in the church, his marketing strategy, his marketing assets that they put in, in um, out there in magazines and in print materials. It was, it was so innovative, and I'm inspired by that. And when I share that with artists that are recording today, they love it. And we have, like, original songwriting from Leon and lyric sheets and him bringing in an orchestra and other musical instruments and uh, you know we'll pull that out for a young band and they're like holy and they start writing they're so inspired so even though music has evolved and changed we can learn by these trailblazers from Oklahoma that did so and JJ Kell and even Steve Ripley he owned this the church studio after Leon for 19 years it was extraordinary what he did with the tractors and um, we have so much to be proud of of this building um, during you know Leon Leon's time, Steve Ripley's time, and also 1915 when this amazing building was built by the people. It, it tells an important story in Tulsa. This was an integrated church in 1915. And, um, you know, the story that people hear about our racist city in 1921 
you know, that's not the full story. You know, our state, people gravitated from all over the world to Tulsa because of our, di- of our diversity after the turn of the century. And I think that's a really important story to tell that we can all be really proud of. Yeah, you're right. That's, um, it's a great point to make. And I think um, the other thing that obviously draws people in, it wasn't just Leon as well, but it was the sound in this building right like and how do you you know when you buy it and you rent it how do you keep that sound right when you're renovating and you're walking in or you're seeing photos and you're like this place is rough right you're like how do we get that sound back right exactly right? and and you know a lot of musicians re- refer to that as vibe but uh, we did invest significantly on a, a great guy Steve Durr out of Nashville on the acoustics you know, we brought in approximately 28 miles of wire, all of our copper premium out of Japan, the yeah. glass windows. Uh, we purchased our glass out of Germany. It's triple pane glass. Um, and, you know, the sound is really important. And we've still been dialing in the sound. We've been open for one year. We opened last spring and we continue to get feedback with musicians, but it's so close to perfect right now. I mean, it's amazing to see artists come in and legacy artists artists like Kenny Loggins to get emotional and start crying in that room and you know others like Jimmy Webb from Oklahoma or Taj Mahal to you know or um Nick Mason the founding member of Pink Floyd playing drums in our room is like holy cow this sounds like Abbey Road 2.0 I mean those compliments are amazing and it's it's really cool Nick Mason's also got a very good car collection. <laughs> oh, I didn't good. know that. Oh, oh what a sweetheart. Like, I one hope of he the comes best back. car collections. Yeah. Uh, we got, we've got to meet some really neat people yeah. through here. Was So Nick Mason was recent within the last year and all those people you named were recently come back in the last yeah, year. Yeah, these are people that, you know, during, um, during our, our post-renovation, yeah, this past year. It's... It's really neat. Yeah. Yeah, we're staying booked, so it's great. That's also, I mean, for your, you know, 16-year-old self or, you know, growing up, it's like pinch me moments, right? Like I'm having these people come to a building that I own, like I, what, what my team has put together and done, and this is a year of being open. This is only just the beginning, and you're getting these names. It's sky's the limit, right? It's incredible. And, you know, I'm a music fan at heart, and so just having to be all like, you know, oh, crap, look who it is, and I'll be like, I remember when, you know, Joe Bonamassa walks in. I was like, hey, Joe, how you doing? I'm <laughs> being you know, cool, and it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, my heart is coming out of my chest, but, you know, musicians are so cool. And the ones that know Leon or knew of him or any of the artists that came through here, like Joe was very interested in Don Nix, who was the first artist assigned to Shelter Records, who wrote the song Going Down. I mean, it's neat to be able to make those connections. It's neat when Lucas Nelson came in, he was kind of tracing his dad's footsteps in the church and you know, we had some things to show him and it's, it's, it's really an honor. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. When, when Joe walks in and like, he's one of the greatest guitar, guitar players of all time. And like you said, you're trying not to fangirl out or have right, that exactly. moment, trying to act cool, like act cool, act cool. No. <laughs> don't freak out. Don't freak out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's super exciting. It's and, neat. You know, and, and, and I can probably like the hard part of, you know, the excitement that you have for people coming in here, you've got to keep it under wraps, right? You can't be like, guess who's coming in in two weeks. You know, you can't, that's probably the tough part other than obviously internally with the team. You can't yes. be shouting from the rooftops, you know, because you have to maintain that, you know, privacy, you know, yes, you can say after they've been, but right. the last 
thing you know artists want or you want is to ruin that reputation you know right we have to be careful we had a mishap recently um bill ward the founding member to black sabbath another drummer he's so cool and he was here for two full days drove his bus in from la and his whole team and it was so great and and at the end of it's like take pictures with me and so we took that to be that oh yeah we could put on you know instagram and facebook and um and it was like his post was literally going viral and we love that because you know we're all about content because the the church didn't really it had a name and a reputation but it didn't have a logo it didn't have a brand it didn't have a digital footprint and so my goal during our five and a half years of renovation was to build digital brand equity and um so i've been all about the content but you know and and of course heard from his manager it's like uh will you take that down and so i asked him like five different ways of how i can keep it up he's like just pull it down and i was kind of embarrassed that we had to do that but i was embarrassed that maybe they were disappointed but he assured me that they want to come back and that he had an amazing experience here he loves that he wrote three songs each day he was here he already came in with like 28 or 58 I don't even know how many songs he's an amazing guy but um we heard a hard lesson but then um you know we had El King this past weekend recording and um so we were taking some photos you know we asked permission she said sure it's like oh will you please tag us and oh will you share the photos and then all of a sudden she has it on TikTok and um and so you just never know and I think could see the older artists that's pre um social media that hold in they don't want to throw up all their content at one time but um anyway we're very and then we have some we have ndas so we don't we know Mm -hmm. that we don't do anything yeah yeah, that's the tough part, right? Because, and, 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 you know, you're talking about five and a half years of renovating and building a brand and social media is free, right? You know, so in quotations, free. Um, yes, you Just have, time. You, you have a t- yeah, you have time and you have a team that's doing it all for you. Um, but it is the best way to get your name out there as social media, especially if you're trying to attract and build the brand for the younger generation to remember all of these great artists that have come through. And obviously Elle isn't, you know, she's not old, right? She's kind of in that current era. But yeah, I mean... I'm sure there's people in the, that come to the building and you're like, can I just kind of sit in the room, back corner, I won't say anything. I just want to like nerd out and enjoy you, watch you do your process. Because right. it's, you know, it's like watching, you know, sitting there and watching a painter paint, right? Like right. you're watching someone mix and, and kind of create songs and write songs and pull right. stuff it's in. Right, it's very intimate and yeah. private. And yeah. we're very cognizant of that when they go on breaks. But, you know, we offer, you know, private butler, concierge services, and we really try to go above and beyond. And we're selling Tulsa in yeah. Oklahoma to them as well. And many of them stay with us at the Harwelden Mansion, another property I have. And we can give them the full experience. We can talk about the trailblazers of the oil barons and you know how generous and what they did for our state and the city in particular and then we get to talk about our music history all the way from Bob Wills through Leon's time and uh, that's what our goal is we're, we're selling Oklahoma to the rest of the world and uh, we love it when they say oh my gosh I had no idea and they love it and they come back and and that's that's 
part of our our purpose. Yeah, tell me about that that hospitality side of your business and the other the building you just mentioned. What what how did that start? Like, how does that start in the whole story of you and this building and everything? And how does that weave into, you know, now it's obviously a huge part of the business because you can host these family, host these people, and and tell them part of the story. But does that start before you buy Church Studio? Is that a business that you just kind of it was into? after? Okay, yeah. After. Okay. So um, after I bought the church, uh, we had some delays and this was um, COVID time, but it was also because of the National Park Service. They were very particular on this renovation and, and it posed a lot of challenges because it's over 100 years old, but the vibe and the significant, the period of significance is Leon's time, but a lot of advancements in acoustical design and engineering. So with some of these delays, um, I uh, the Harwelden went on the market and I felt like that was a once in a lifetime opportunity a local restaurant actually put an offer on it but it fell through and I I remember being so relieved because I thought oh my gosh that glorious mansion and I grew up in a housing project on the other side of the river across from Harwelden so I was always enamored by this gorgeous mansion castle it looked like a castle to me like who would live in that type of house I mean it was just so mind-blowing to me but when that deal fell through I heard about it like an hour later, uh, reached out about the property, walked through, and honestly like this, it was another impulse purchase. And um, it was owned by the Arts Council of Tulsa, which is called AHA, and they recently went under, um, or closed down, I don't know what, what you want to call it, but it was bequeathed to them in 1967. And um, I felt kind of strange that it was donated to someone in 67 and they were selling it. But um, I actually befriended the great or the granddaughter of the original owners and talked with her. And anyway, I felt good about it. Anyway, I bought it. It took me a little over two years to renovate it. I, I um, have it today as a, a venue, but it's also a bed and breakfast. All those bedrooms had been gutted out, so I got it back to... Um, the period 1923 and in fact we're celebrating our 100 year anniversary this year 1920 you know 23 to 2023 and it works out great for example um, you know Taj Mahal has stayed there twice um, air supply has been there twice um, when they were here recently their first acoustic set in their 47 year career they were here at the church and then recorded the following day but they stayed with us at the Har Weldon and again it's just an opportunity for us to you know talk about that property it's an English Tudor mansion and we have traditional afternoon tea and offer so many different things but again just a way to to tell a, a different Tulsa story than the yeah. church studio Leon story sounds like my kind of place I love a oh. cup of tea <laughs> oh I do too I drink tea non-stop yeah. and I've had to learn some different things since I'm a redneck at heart um, we have a no lot milk. of yeah I haven't been doing milk but um, yeah. even you know we were calling it high tea and our British people that would go was like uh, this is afternoon tea the yeah. The blue collar workers did high tea, but people call it high tea anyway. And so, but I've learned a lot about proper English tea and do not do your pinky up. So um, no. I was like, you know, with my teacup, it's like, oh, I'm proper. Your little China set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's but it's a beautiful property. Yeah, there's a reoccurring theme here of you kind of getting old buildings, renovating them and having projects. And like you said, when this building came around and you didn't have a project, this was the one. Right. What is, what is on the, what is, the, you know, you, and, and, and 
what you mentioned in the podcast is like you're always working on something you know you have a really high work ethic and you've got to have your projects what is the project at the moment is there anything else that we haven't mentioned well I'm you know developing this neighborhood I kind of named it uh, Studio Row I've been able to purchase uh, 13 properties around the church and not that I'm a control freak but I had to control the crime and I wanted to get other small businesses vested in the area so we have tenants you know from you know a coffee shop to a bed and breakfast there's a vinyl record store, three restaurants. Um, I have a contract on a building across the street I'm super excited about. And uh, the main reason is when artists are here visiting from out of state that, you know, they they can walk across the street and get a cup of coffee. And, and crime is down to almost zero. I'm so proud of that. And, you know, some people may say it's a gentrification of a neighborhood, but it, there's not a lot of residential housing over here. And I think it's just a way to have an economic impact on this part of town that helps schools and our parks and roads and everything else but yeah I just want to continue we're just one year in the entertainment world working with record labels and A&R folks and that sort of thing so I'm just learning what I can we are revitalizing uh, shelter records I was able to get that trademark uh, Leon let it expire in 81 and so we're looking at a very unique um, record label model that will hopefully Hopefully, be a benefit to musicians that sign with us, and um, so that's kind of my main focus in getting a new staff trained um, and you know being relevant. Super exciting, super exciting, and you know you've got plenty of work to do and, and a huge team well not a huge team but you've got a team behind you and, and everyone's moving in the right direction uh, finishing up I want to ask there's two more questions I want to ask you one of them is for everybody that comes in the in, in the studio, um, do you have anything special that you either have them do or just to keep a record of them here? Do you have a photo wall? Is there anything special that just historically and your love of collecting things that you have them do or sign or whatever? <laughs> so we do, we do keep old school track sheets. Okay. And so we are documenting that history that way. We do have a wall um, that's kind of a secret wall off the control room. But we are recording so many people. We thought, who's wall-worthy or not? And all, everyone's wall-worthy. Yeah. So we started capturing signatures, and we just used Grammy as the, if you have a Grammy. And so we do have this wall of fame. So it's been kind of fun to get, get people to sign that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, uh, the next question I have is, what is your most prized possession in your collection? We have an original self-portrait. I believe it to be Leon Russell's only self-portrait. Um, he did it with a marker, and uh, he drew himself that ended up on an album, and he signed his real name, Leon Russell, um, on that, and he signed it, his alter ego on the album, which was Hank Wilson. Um, I I love that, and because uh, it's... I don't know. It, it, it probably is. But we have so many great pieces, so it's hard to choose. But I would say, you know, an original self-portrait by Leon Russell himself. Brilliant. Uh, Teresa, thank you so much. You're uh, welcome. For an hour of your time, for sharing stories. Like, we, uh, I said this on the last podcast. There's so many we're not going to get to, right? Which is great, because I get to come back, and in maybe a year or three years, however long it is, there'll be more stories. So, um 
Thank yeah, you. Thank you for what Thanks you've for done. Thanks for the great questions. Yeah, I'm thank you. Let me ramble you, on. No, it's all right. It's all great. I'm, you know, I, I think it's your story is incredible. Um, you know, what you've been through, what you've come through, what you've overcome, what you've built. Uh, you know, starting a business, having you know a letter from the state. You know, you just go through everything and the things that you've persevered through as a single mom. I mean, you know, there's so many lessons to learn from this. Um, very, I resonate with your love of cars. We could talk about that for another time. Maybe I will. We'll have to have you on my car podcast. Yeah, I have to um, show you my pictures. Yeah, we'll have to go through that. <laughs> uh, as well as, I mean, just the collection that you have, right? Like this, I love the fact that you've built a business around a passion, um, and that's something that people listening will, you know, connect with as well. And and you know, there's so many things that we can, we are capable of, and we can do. We just got to put one foot in front of the other and do, you know, give it a go, right? I mean. Yes, yeah. everything's risky, but at the same time, regret I think is more painful than you know not not trying and failing. Absolutely, so, I agree um, with that. Yeah, it's incredible. So thank you so much for your time. I love what you've done here. Wish you incredible success from here on out. Can't wait to see the you know the Shelter Records label come back and the names that are going to come through this building. So for people listening, I'll put the links to Instagram, all the social medias, um, the link to Your Bed and Breakfast. Remind me of the name again. Harwelden Mansion. Harwelden Mansion. I'll put that in the description as well as Trish Studio. And stop on by. Come on a tour. Buy some merch. Um, and if you could even use this place as a venue if you wanted to. <laughs> if you want to have a wedding reception, maybe. Or record. Or record. If you're a recording artist <laughs> listening to this, um, yeah, come here and nerd out, record where, I mean, legends of, uh, of, of the industry have come. So for people listening, uh, thank you so much. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahoma.com oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor. They do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma and without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.